we started a series last week with Pastor Carolyn, and we're doing a series on discipleship. And so, uh, you know, last week she did one on the cost of discipleship. We looked at the outline that she made. The main today is it's going to be on the growth of the disciple. And as it turned out, we both wanted to do the same sermon. <laughs> Well, that wasn't going to work out. So we decided to sort of a tag team thing. I'm going to be doing the first two points, and Carolyn's going to be doing the last one. And if you know, when I was a kid growing up, I used to watch Texas Wrestling with the company company on television. And you know, one guy would get thrown out of the ring, and he would tap somebody's hand, and they would jump in, and they would take over. So that's what we're going to do. So we're not going to out of the ring. I'm going to tap her hand, and she's going to come back and body slam her. <laughs> That's the plan. I'm going to be reading today from Second uh, Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. We read a longer passage earlier, and I'm only going to be reading this verse. It says, "But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior." Christ. As I said, we're doing this series, and it's on discipleship. And, you know, the word Christian is only used twice in all the Bible. One of those in Antioch, where they were first called Christians. But the word disciple is literally used thousands of times, hundreds of times in the Bible. And so the main word for a believer is a disciple. And the, the literal translation that is usually given to the disciple is a learner, and that is true, but it's more than that. It is more like an apprentice. You know, somebody apprenticed during the Middle Ages, and they would study a trade for many years. For three years, Jesus was the master of his disciples. Those three years, he not only taught them, but he showed them. The way of God. And he prepared them to walk the whole world and preach the gospel. That was what the discipleship was all about. It seems a little strange when he tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because most things don't have to be told to grow. Yeah, a baby. When it's hungry or when it does something in his diaper, you know, you take care of it, you feed it clean it up, and the baby just seems to grow naturally. Not more or less. <laughs> Until the recent teenage years and wish maybe that you hadn't had the baby after all. <laughs> all that. And actually in the same way, this last week I'll, I'll watch Axton. I, I watch Axton every once in a while. And they, they were trying to take down this huge tree, 250 feet high. And nobody had to kill that tree to grow. It started out very small and caused the sunlight from the soil and the roots going down. It just grew. And yet, we are told as believers to grow. All the others seem to be natural processes. But growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ is a process that we need to encourage. I'm going to be looking. At two of the ways 
Garrett was going to be looking at the final way that we grow. First of all, we grow through prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, it says to pray without ceasing. Look at the Bible, find people of great prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. He went up the Bible so many times. The Bible says that sometimes he prayed all night long. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And there are many of his prayers recorded in the New Testament. Jesus prayed. Elijah is called a man of prayer. He did not pray in all of Israel for three years because of the judgment of God against the half of the evil king. And then God was ready to cause it to rain again. So Elijah began to pray out of defeating the Baal uh, priests. Praying and asked the servant, you see him, and he said, oh, there's just a little small cloud. Then he kept praying, and then the cloud got bigger and bigger, and there was great deluge, and God rebuked the dryness, and the water soaked into the land again. And it was a prayer. Just what they wanted to have a child. Remember here, she would go to the temple. She would agonize the prayer before the Almighty God. Eli had priest saw her. He thought the reason she was mumbling so was because she was drunk. She was only drunk on God. Look, now he was going to be talking about the disciple of prayer. And I don't want to cover the same material. And so, I, I was thinking this last week, you know, there's some very sharp prayers in the Bible. And they actually cover the range of things that we as believers can pray about. Uh, first of all, there's a short prayer from Moses. On one occasion, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. God said, you know, just if, if, if I show you my glory, you're going to die. You want that? Not going to God said, I'll tell you what, I'll pass by and I'll allow you to see my backside, but that's it. I think what Moses was really wanting was to be able to experience God in a way that he had never experienced him before. That is the heart of the prayer that he prayed. It is a prayer of adoration before God, a prayer of the recognition of God, that God is holy, He is good, He is loving, and He is a God of glory. That's what Moses, I believe, was praying. There's a little short prayer. And then another one was the prayer of Jabez. I had read a little book of the prayer of Jabez. I forgot all of it, so I borrowed the first of those copies this week. I borrowed the book, but I gave it back to him afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I read the little book once more. Very short prayer, only three or four sentences. And the main part was, God, I pray that you would bless me in me. That you would expand my territory. That sounds a little bit selfish, but it's not really. He was not praying for personal blessing. He was asking for God's blessing that he might be able to serve him better. And the 
God will extend the territory. And the Lord of the Lord says, that's the prayer that we need to be praying. God would bless us. And that's a second part of prayer, that is dedication. We offer to God what we are what we have. And so when the offering plate is passed, you shouldn't just be laying the money in there. You should be laying yourself in there. Say, God, all that I have, all that I am, I offer to you. There's a short little prayer. Then there's a short prayer of the leper. One occasion, Jesus healed ten lepers at once. Told them to go to wash. Their leprosy would be cleared. And of those ten, one of them, the Bible says he came back praising God, and when he got before Jesus, he fell down on his knees and he said, Thank you. The Bible says that we pray always for everything. We thank God all day long. You know, all your prayers don't have to be long prayers, they can be very short prayers. You know, when you're driving, you get caught in the middle of the night, you 20 cars in front of you waiting to, to the light turn. What a great time that is. Just to thank God for what He's done. God's given us so much. The Bible says every good and perfect gift is from Him. And we thank you, Father. We should be thanking you. If you find a parking space, uh, as I did uh, the other day at the mall, the whole place was going, I guess somebody was there for a movie. But I finally found another place. Uh, that was available. Thank God. And God does even the small things in life. We don't stop thanking Him. Thank Him for everything. And uh, there's a prayer of, uh, of mercy. And Jesus saw the scribes and Pharisees. They prayed. They were justifying themselves. They were saying, Boy, I thank God for God like those other people. In fact, you know, the devout Pharisees would thank God every day that they were not born in a Gentile or a woman. Jesus said they received everything with their prayer. They're not getting anything more. But then there was one man, and all he could say was a little short prayer Oh God, tax collector, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I know that as Christians, God's already forgiven our sins. But we need to ask for forgiveness. Because it's important for us to ask God to forgive us for what we've done so that we might change. So that we won't continue to be the people that we are. But we can grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's a final part of prayer that is petition, asking God for things. And we have a couple of examples there. One is Peter. You recall that Jesus was walking on the water and he had the water skis or boat pulling or anything. He said, walk on the water. And Peter said, Lord, can I do that? And so Jesus said, sure. Bob down the boat. Started walking on the water. The water was holding him up. But then the Bible says he saw the wind and the rain and he began to sink down. And all he could do was to utter a very quick prayer, help me. What's it up? Jesus reached down and pulled him up. Jesus made 
hold up our feet and be. And sometimes that's all that we can do is say, God help us. Start our prayer. One other prayer petition that was a feet. Jesus died on that day of God. There were two men beside him. Two thieves that deserved to be there at times. And one of them mocked Jesus and said, If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. The other one could only say, Lord, remember me when you come to me. Remember me. You said today will be with these paradigms. I've done a lot of people. Sometimes I've done people for people that at least as far as I knew, and anybody else knew, they have never made a profession of Christ. But I consider my job to preach it by the hell. That's not the problem of the individual. Nobody knows what somebody might have said in those last moments, those last minutes. Maybe in the last moments, like the people of Christ, crossing, they cried out, Remember me. Prayer can move the heart of God. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And so we ought to ask God for things. But that's not the only reason to pray. Talked a few weeks ago about C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia, wrote the Mere Christianity and the Books. But he also had a struggle in his life. He met his wife while he was in university and got married. She had cancer. He had great struggles for years and years. One day a friend said to him, Yo, Charlie, he said, uh, Praise God. All that praise does some good. He said to his friend, I don't pray. You change God. So I pray because I don't have any other choice to pray. I pray because I need to pray. And I'm not praying that God might be altered. I'm praying that I'm going to Pray to God that He might be changed. Something might take place in our lives. I believe that that's the margin of the cycle's prayer. Praying for changes in us. I, I read a lot. Um, my wife will tell you that uh, typically I'll read for at least a couple, three hours, maybe four a day. But she doesn't stop me. And I was reading this last week about a chaplain in a hospital. And he was called to the room of a woman who's taken a child in the door, uh, still. And so she called him to the room and got there and there was a man there that he assumed to be the husband. And he tried to find out exactly why they were calling the chaplain to come to be there. And he gave him several opportunities that they never explained anything to him. And finally, he was feeling like, well, what I'll do here. He said, well, do you mind if I'm praying for you then? His plan was to get into the prayer of instructions. Good, but yeah, it was obviously they didn't really need 
happens when our spirit is ignited by the Holy Spirit. We are on fire for God. That's worship. We know God when we know God. When we see God for who he really is, we are overwhelmed. We are overwhelmed by his goodness, by his love, by his justice, by his mercy, by his infinite power, by his holiness. And we have to respond with worship. God is worthy of our worship. Worship helps us grow as disciples when we're touched by the Holy Spirit. Christian worship is an act of the mind. It's not mindless frenzy. We don't we aren't whirling dervishes here. It's not meaningless ecstasy. We do worship using our mind. That's in that. With all your soul, with all your mind. And we've been talking about that quite a bit. We've been talking about studying, right? And the last week when I talked about discipleship, it was about knowing God. So I'm going to skip over that part. Worship, however, in this in this um, sentence here, about the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Worship is a physical act. I didn't actually realize that the Hebrew word for worship means prostrate, prostrating yourself, laying down, flat your face. Who knew? Throughout the Old and New Testaments, we find a variety of physical postures that mean worship. You stand before the Lord, you kneel, you prostrate yourself. There are things like lifting the hands, clapping the hands, we did that this morning, yay. Um, um, bowing the head, lifting the head, even dancing. For all the Baptists out there, I'm sorry. <laughs> but dancing is worship. Or you can dance like worship. David did. I think that worship ought to be a full body workout, but as you know, in the Presbyterian Church, we're more like God's frozen people <laughs> than the charismatic folks among us. Um, but our focus is on God. Our focus is not on ourselves when we worship. It's not on each other when we worship. So if the Spirit moves you to move, I say go for it. Even here at Lakeside Presbyterian Church. Also consider your private worship. Think about kneeling when you pray. I, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Your posture makes a difference. It's a physical thing. Worship is also an emotional act. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Paul says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Singing is an important part of worship. It's a physical act, yes, but it expresses our emotion. It moves us into praise. Through music, we express our joy, our gratitude, our thanksgiving. Forty-one of the psalms command us to sing unto the Lord. Singing together, together in worship, can focus us. We become centered. Our fragmented minds and spirits flow into a unified whole. We're singing the same things together. We become positioned toward God. I don't think of myself as someone who cries easily in public, but I guess I kind of am. There are hymns that always and that is emotion. That's strong emotion, and that and helps our worship. It provides a wonderful worship experience when we get our hearts in love. 
And worship is, of course, a spiritual act, loving God with all our souls. Jesus said to the woman at the well, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. The Father is seeking worshipers. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Jesus said this as part of his response to the woman's question about where is the right place to worship. Do we worship at Mount Gerizim, where all of us Americans say we should worship, or should we worship in Jerusalem at the temple, where the Jews say we should worship? And Jesus said, it doesn't matter. The place doesn't matter. It's your spirit that matters. I hesitate saying that because there are people who will say, well then, on Sunday morning, I can worship on the golf course, or I can worship in the cathedral of the forest, or as we used to say in college, I can worship on St. Mattress of the Box Springs. <laughs> <laughs> but disciples worship together. I don't know if you remember this, but a previous sermon of mine, I encourage them to use this verse. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's from Peter's pen. Unlike many other religions, particularly Eastern religions, Christians strongly emphasize corporate worship, even in dangerous circumstances like they were in when that first from Peter's was written. Don't give up meeting together, even if you're being persecuted. We are all the body of Christ, and since we're coming up on Halloween, I'm going to give you a little macabre example. If you see a head over here and a torso over here and feet over there, that is not a living person. Christians don't live in isolation from each other. We are one body. Martin Luther, we're going to get every denomination in this morning, Martin Luther said, that together with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer. I love that. I'm going to read it to you again. To gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer. So how can we do a better job of worshiping when we come together on Sunday mornings? I suggest that we live during the week, listening for God's voice and obeying His word, so that when we hear His voice throughout the week, we'll know, we'll live in expectation that on Sunday morning we will hear Him again. I think entering the sanctuary in expectation is essential for worship, for really good worship. I say come a few minutes early. Come a few minutes early. Come into the sanctuary and lift your heart in adoration to the King of Glory, contemplate His majesty, His love, His tenderness, all of that. Invite the presence of God to be real to you when you come into church. The first step of worship is to quiet ourselves, and we do that every Sunday, and with the worship leader will say, let's take a moment of silence, but I think we can do an even better job when we just think about that personally before we even start. If we are concerned carrying out the business of our lives in our own strength and wisdom, we'll do the same thing when we were 
worship. Let's not. Let's depend on God and listen to God. So fourth, we grow together as disciples through sacrifice. Didn't I talk about that last week? <laughs> um, I didn't talk about self-sacrifice, but sacrifice is closely related to worship. Remember that animal sacrifice in the Old Testament was the act of worship. And these two acts are tied together for us by Paul in the book of Romans, where he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We grow as disciples by spiritual transformation through the renewing of our minds, which we've been talking about, that's what disciples do. And that's also what offering our bodies as a living sacrifice means. If we renew our minds, our bodies follow. Our actions follow. We sacrifice our personal agenda and do what God asks us to do. Sacrifice and worship are tied together. And they're done again in a different way in Hebrews 13, which I think you like because it says, For Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. We sang that this morning. <laughs> the brother was about to sacrifice his praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So there are a couple forms of sacrifice in those two short verses. The old covenant required the sacrifice of bulls and lambs and goats. The new covenant requires the sacrifice of praise. Well, what makes praise a sacrifice? After all, when you praise something, isn't it because you appreciate it? You like it, you praise it? What a beautiful work of art. Praise, right? There's no sacrifice there. But God is worthy of our praise even when we're confused or hurt or troubled. When things go wrong, praising God can seem like a real sacrifice. When we just want to sit down and feel sorry for ourselves, it takes discipline. To realize we don't have the whole story. God has reasons that we don't have. Our praise is not our opinion of God's job performance. It's not like how we praise that God for coming when we call him. It's not a reward we offer God in exchange for all our blessings. Real praise flows continually from a worshiping heart when things go right and when things go wrong. And you know, Praise can also be difficult when things go well. When things are going my way, I tend to believe I'm responsible for it. Wow, I did a great job. Look at how I planned for this. I worked hard for it. And it all came through. Yay me. Wait, who created my success? Let me remember to praise God and sacrifice my pride when things go well. And then there are the normal days when we slip into a rhythm, we get up, make a coffee, brush our teeth, feed the dogs, run a few errands, have dinner, watch TV, go back to bed. Where, where was the phrase in there? What should I be praising God for? God is present with us in every circumstance of life, and He is worthy of our praise at all times, our sacrifice of praise. Do we openly praise God? Do we profess His name in public? 
This is part of our sacrifice and praise. If we love God, we show it to everyone. And remember putting together these ideas of worship and sacrifice. We come here together each Sunday, not just for fellowship, although that's great. We're not here like the 60s single mom group and the narvacs that sings to each other. We sing to God. We come to meet God. The songs we sing are a sacrifice of praise to God. Our prayers here are sacrifice to God. The Bible readings help us to focus on God and His magnificent work. It's no coincidence that each week we say praise God from whom all blessings flow after we take the offering. And offering is another word for sacrifice. Our whole orientation as we gather together should be that this building is transformed into a place where God comes near to receive our sacrifice of praise. The writer of Hebrews continues that do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices of God is pleased. Doing good and sharing with others. Just like praise, doing good isn't always a sacrifice. Doing good can make us feel better about ourselves. Doing good can make other people look at us with more positive emotions. Doing good can be just a duty, dull and dreary. But doing good, that's a pleasing sacrifice to God, doesn't have those kind of motives. Not that I'm saying the motives have to be completely pure. I'm afraid no deeds would, good deeds would be done if we waited until we were feeling completely selfless about them. But what it means is that we sacrifice our time, we sacrifice our goals and our desires in order to do what others need to have done. We sacrifice our money and our possessions to give to others who need those things. This kind of sacrifice pleases God because it shows that we trust and we trust Him completely. Our hope isn't in our good plans for ourselves and for our families. Our security is the money that we save for retirement. Our happiness doesn't depend on us getting our own way. For true disciples, living a life of unceasing prayer, of study, of sacrifice, of worship, of praise, of giving, doing good to others, that's how we grow as a disciple. And that's a life God is pleased with.